Hey everybody, this is Magnus Hedemark. Welcome back to the Neuroverse. This is episode four. This is going to be a different Neuroverse podcast than you've heard before. I, I don't know if this is going to be a, a regular fixture or not. I really always intended Neuroverse to be about other neurodivergent voices hosted by me, an autistic person, but amplifying the voices of other neurodivergent people. You may have noticed we missed last week's episode. And we almost missed this week's episode too. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And it has a lot to do with why we have no guests this week. I'm going to be doing all the talking. And that's a little weird. That's not really part of my original vision. Uh, But it helps if we just step back a little bit. Take a look at where we've been. So we've had three episodes so far. In our first episode, we talked to two autistic women about their experiences with staying at home. And they were very different experiences. In our second episode, we talked to Paul Stevenson, a man with full-blown Tourette syndrome in the UK, hearing his life story. And it wasn't just about Tourette's. He has a lot of other challenges that he's dealing with that uh, color his, his life and his experience with Tourette's. And then in our most recent episode, episode number three, we heard from Wes Wade, a black man with ADHD. And he told us, and this this really kind of opened my mind up a lot about what's going on. He told us that ADHD um, amplifies or, or accelerates his black experience. You might notice a pattern emerging. We're not just talking about autism or ADHD or other neurodivergent conditions. We're talking about the intersection of those conditions with other aspects of life that might introduce challenge. This is very much by design. This is very much important. You can't talk about autism in isolation. You can't talk about ADHD in isolation or Tourette's in isolation. And we're going to get to dyslexia and dyspraxia and so on. You have to talk about how those things intersect with other aspects of life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But before I do, I want to just thank the, the, the early adopters who have signed up on our Patreon page. We have patrons, we have friends. Uh, there's not quite enough money coming in yet to cover the hosting costs of this podcast. Uh, I'll be completely transparent. It's costing me about $19 a month to host this podcast. Uh, the folks that have signed up for Patreon are contributing about $16 a month right now. So we've got three patrons offering $5 per month and one friend of the podcast offering a dollar per month. Every little bit counts. I think we're very close to having um, the care and maintenance costs of this of this podcast uh, becoming self-sufficient in the near future. 
I'm really hoping to bring that up a bit more so that I can start offering things like professionally written transcripts of these episodes to make them more accessible to folks who may have hearing loss or other cognitive issues that make it challenging to listen to the podcast and get everything you want out of it. And, and really, uh, a lot of other people are going to have a, um, a lot of value coming from those transcripts. So for me, that's the next goal. But transcripts done correctly, uh, that's not something that comes cheap and that's not something that comes automatically very well. So I'm, I'm looking to pay somebody to create those transcripts. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes to our Patreon page. If you could give a dollar a month, $5 a month, or more, it's really going to help us out to get a farther reach, to become more accessible to folks, and to, to really help tell the stories of neurodivergent people. So enough about that. I've been talking a lot on this episode, and I'm going to be talking a lot more. You've only heard a little bit from me in the previous episodes. As the host, I'm just there really to kickstart the conversation and then get out of the way and let the guest tell you their story. But just to kind of give you some background about who I am and why I'm interested in this subject matter, my name is Magnus Hedemark. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, married to my high school sweetheart, father of three children, all teenagers. One of them's autistic. We didn't always know that she was autistic. We didn't always know that I was autistic. I did always know that there was something mm, different about me. All right. I'm going to take a little sip of my red wine here. From very early childhood, I could tell I was different than other kids. I played differently. I was interested in different things. I had much, much more intense interest in the things that I did care about, which were often not the same things that other kids cared about. Other kids cared about baseball, soccer. Soccer was huge in my in my town. Skateboarding, BMX, bicycles. None of that was really all that appealing to me. I loved reading books. Oh my gosh, I loved reading books. I loved, especially loved reading books about fish. I had aquariums in my bedroom. <laughs> A ridiculous number of aquariums, salt water, fresh water. Some of them were vivariums, which is like half aquarium, half terrarium. So you had fish and frogs, like tree frogs and lizards in the same enclosure. And that kind of thing just, it tickled me. You could take me to the public aquarium when I was a kid and I could point at fish and I could tell you the genus and species of so many of the fish in there. The same was true in pet shops. Now my interests have changed. I'm a man now. I'm a middle-aged man now. My interests have changed, but a lot of that intensity is still there. And that awareness that I'm very different from the people around me is still there. But I had, I had a kid. I still have a kid. But one of my kids was uh, showing some um, development delays with her speech. She was inventing, inventing her own sign languages and... Uh, really did not socialize with other kids her age. So sweet, such a sweet child, but uh, very different. It was because of her speech delays and speech impediments that we enlisted the, um, the services of um, uh, 
like a speech coach, what's the word I'm looking for, but somebody to help her with her, her speech impediments. And it was through that that we went down this long road that led to her being diagnosed as autistic and then myself. And I have to tell you, when I found out that I was autistic, at first I didn't believe it. Everything I thought I knew about autism came from the movie Rain Man, which I know now wasn't even about an autistic person. That label got attached by Hollywood, and it just didn't really line up at, at all with the autis- autis- ah, autistic experience. I should have a little bit more wine. <laughs> My mouth is so dry. All right. So... Once I got it through my head, this is who I am. This is why I am the way I am. It was a huge relief. I now know why I felt so different from everybody else. But moreover, I started finding other people like me that were different the way I'm different. And they were different in other ways too, because no, no two autistic people are alike. But importantly, I found a tribe. I found a lot of people who had similar challenges to me, that were accepting of me and my challenges, and felt comfortable sharing their own challenges with me. But along with those challenges come great gifts very often. And it took me a long, long time to get to a place where I was aware of how autism made it harder for me to get by in a society not made for us. And to embrace, to, to know and understand and embrace the strengths, the things that are easier for me than most people, and starting to apply them to my professional career. The last five years of my career have taken off. I've been working in the technology field for a long time, mostly as an individual contributor, and I mostly did not really want to be a team player. Uh, it's not that I hated people or anything like that. I just felt like, uh, I know what I need to do. I can see all the moving parts. Just put me in a room with a computer and get out of the way and I'll come up for air in a few weeks and you'll have something beautiful and documented and it's just, it's just going to work. And I spent like 20 years working that way. Then further on my walk. Uh, having already known for a number of years that I'm autistic, understanding my strengths, understanding my blind spots, working hard to better understand those things that don't come instinctively to me, the social cues, body language, what motivates people. I spent focus time learning those things and it changed my worldview. And I started developing my career on a different track. I moved over from from being a hands-on technologist and engineer, I moved over to the management track. And it's not like a manager is just an engineer with a promotion. It's, you can't really look at it that way. It's a completely different um, skill set, completely different set of responsibilities. Yes, engineers do report to me, but the nature of my day-to-day work is very different than what it used to be. And then I found out I'm, I'm pretty good at it. 
I'm pretty good at being a manager. I'm pretty good at being a leader. And there's, there's a difference. Managers and leaders are different things. Though, if you would listen to any manager, they like to call themselves leaders these days. I found out I enjoy this kind of work better than I ever enjoyed being an engineer. The nice thing about being an engineer, working with computers, is that computers pretty much do what you tell them to do, as long as you know how to ask them correctly. People, not so much. People need to be internally motivated, to feel invested in what you need from them, and feel like they want the same outcome that you want, so that you can walk away and trust that they're gonna use their skills to deliver what you and your customers need. I got pretty good at it. I got so good at it that I went from manager to senior manager to director and now senior director. That's just in the last four years, okay? And I feel like I'm not done yet. I haven't run out of runway. If I keep going down this path, I'm gonna be a vice president at a very large corporation. And I already have uh, a product portfolio, multiple products, global team, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, but let's get back to the show. Why did I start Neuroverse? What's my goal with it? I started Neuroverse because I feel like I figured something out. Right? I didn't come through one of these autism at work programs. I didn't come through a neurodiversity program. I came through the front door. I came through the same recruiting path that anybody else would go through. And mostly without special considerations for who I am, how I am, why I am, I figured out how to navigate those systems and be successful. I feel like I need to send the elevator back down. I feel like I need to use my success to help showcase other people what they're about, what they can do, to normalize neurodiversity and get folks thinking about, wow, if I'm just a little bit understanding about this person's needs or their challenges, They bring such strengths to the table. Or, even if there are no special skills, there's just a different point of view. And very often in business, just having different points of view at the table can give you a competitive edge. So, for Neuroverse, I really just want, and this this is not true of just the podcast, but of my life in general, I want to create a better, life experience, more independent, more successful for not just autistic folks, but other neurodivergent folks as well. I think when we talk about neurodiversity, a lot of people are just talking about autism. And I want to make sure we're expanding that conversation. It can't just be about autism. Yes, we're probably... um, have more need in a lot of areas um, in terms of support, workplace support. 
but a lot of those things that we need would help other people as well. Uh, you've probably heard of the curb cut effect where, you know, they put these um, ramps on street corners to allow um, you know, wheelchairs to get through. And it turns out they have a much broader benefit for a lot of people, almost everybody. And that's true of a lot of accommodations where if we can figure out how to make the workplace work for autistic people or for folks with Tourette's or for folks with dyslexia, a lot of those accommodations are going to make the workplace a better place for everybody else. It's not even just the workplace. It's like the shops you go to, the restaurants you go to, the bars you go to. Speaking of bars, I'm going to have another sip of wine here. That's good. I hope you're enjoying your favorite drink while you're reading this. It doesn't have to be alcohol, but I'm certainly not going to judge you if it is. So now you know a little bit about why I started Neuroverse. Where's it going to go next? Where we've already been is probably a good indication of where I want it to go. I want to explore intersections and I want to explore real life. Okay. So I don't want to just get an autistic person. I want to get an autistic transgender person, right? That's going to tell me about how being transgender comes with its challenges. And then being autistic compounds that. And what does that person need to be accepted, to be successful, to be independent? And then maybe we'll see how a lot of those things are things that we would benefit from as well. I want to dive into other areas too. There's, I think, a lot of stereotypes, especially about autistic people when it comes to things like relationships and yes, sex. So there will be episodes about relationships, about sexuality. Actually, the, um, I'll tell you a little bit about this, uh, momentarily, but the guest that I had planned to interview today is an autistic sex worker. And we weren't just going to talk about autism. We were going to talk about like, what does it mean to be autistic and a sex worker? That matters. It's legitimate work. I know it's It's something we don't generally talk about in society, but we should, and we should be open-minded. We should be curious. We should try to understand. And I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try my best to do that. So you've heard me say a couple of times that I've had some, some ideas for guests and things didn't quite pan out the way I'd hoped. And that's probably part of my own my own journey. So let me see, where are my intersections? If you know me or if you've seen a picture of me, you know, I'm a cisgender white guy. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of, um, privilege there and I'm tall. There's a lot of privilege there too. A tall cisgender white guy. And I pass as heterosexual, but I'm not heterosexual. Okay. A lot of autistic people are overrepresented in the LGBTQ community. 
So if, if you go into a room full of transgender people, it's, it's hard to swing a stick and not hit several autistic people with it. I don't want you hitting transgender folks. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we are overrepresented in these communities. I myself am bisexual. And in talking with other autistic people, I've seen a pattern where we don't approach sexuality like most people do. Um, it's almost more practical, more pragmatic. Like the human body is a playground and hearts are beautiful and people are beautiful. And if you fall in love with somebody or if you feel deeply connected to somebody, that deep connection can be attraction. And then what does it matter if they're a cisgender man or a cisgender woman or trans or non-binary, right? Love is love. And that's part of my intersectionality. Um, another part is I'm hard of hearing. So I can't tell you <laughs> how much, how often at work, that intersection between autism and being hard of hearing impacts my ability to keep up with my peers, especially on conference calls where a lot of my peers aren't necessarily mindful of their audio quality. They're using their laptop like a speakerphone. They sound like they're far away, microphones cutting in and out. My cognitive functions are, are um, flipping out a little bit because it's hard to fill in the blanks with what they're saying and keep up with the conversation not to mention the noise. And from a hearing loss perspective, I'm not getting enough of the intelligible sounds to piece together what, what they're saying very often. So it's, it's almost a running joke at work. This same professional audio equipment that I'm using to record the podcast, and it's, it's not cheap low-end stuff, but I use the same equipment to attend conference calls at work. So I'm using a fancy Shure SM7B uh, dynamic microphone. This is the kind of thing you would see in broadcast studios all around the world. Like Michael Jackson used to record his, his albums with this microphone. And I'm using it to make Zoom calls and this podcast. But one aspect that's common to a lot of autistic people is... Uh, challenges with executive function, or I might say just plain executive dysfunction. Executive skills might be like the simple things that you need to go about your day. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know when to start. It's, it's hard to get that motivation to get started. There's so many moving parts and we're really great very often at single tasking deeply, intensely, but a lot of these executive function things uh, come very naturally, I think, to most neurotypical folks. For somebody like me, it can be a lot more of an effort. And where this plays into the podcast is scheduling guests. Actually coordinating with another person and settling on a time and date and getting them all the information they need and getting all the information I need from them to have a successful podcast can be really, really hard to do. Now compound that with the fact that every single person I'm trying to schedule 
is also autistic or ADHD and so on. You get, you get the point. So my challenges in this area are bumping up against the challenges of my own guests. And it's hit me two weeks in a row now. The last episode that we actually outright missed was somebody who is autistic is a known figure. Okay. Um, in, in a local area, they are very well known. They're in the news a lot. They're on TV and they're autistic as I, I think I said, and they have a really, I think, fascinating story. They've reached a certain level of success in their field, a very public facing kind of success while being openly autistic. And I thought, that, oh, that would be such a brilliant conversation to have. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And I thought everything was going well. And then I got um, put in touch with um, their personal assistant. Well, it's not just an assistant, it's a team of assistants. And it turns out there was no way that podcast was gonna get recorded in time to be broadcast on, on, on the normal schedule. So I started panicking a little bit contacting other people on my guest list and it was just a comedy of errors like just struggling to nail down times and dates and you know finding out like one person I really wanted to talk to uh just was out of spoons they they just they they couldn't deal with it that day and when I say out of spoons we talked about spoon theory on the first episode I think Spoon theory is uh, something that's really common, commonly referred to in autistic circles, other disability circles. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's it's really talking about like your your personal energy budgeting. Like it takes some energy just to get out of bed in the morning. It takes some energy to have a conversation with another person. It takes energy to get on the phone and be interviewed for a podcast where the questions are coming at you kind of fast and you don't have a lot of time to think about it, which is already a disadvantage for a lot of autistic folks. And you can see hopefully where um, it, it might be hard for somebody to follow through with a commitment to have a conversation on a podcast like this. The same thing, well, something similar happened this week. Uh, like I, like I alluded to, um, there was an autistic sex worker that I was going to interview today. And I didn't do enough to satisfy their needs. And they did not do enough to satisfy mine. I think we both still very much want to have that conversation. I'm looking forward to having that conversation. But uh, through this executive dysfunction, comedy of errors, you're stuck now talking listening rather listening just to me talking to you without a guest so now that I've seen a pattern emerging of discovering that these these interviews can be challenging to schedule I have to adapt to that I really want to commit to releasing a new episode of this podcast every week on Wednesday morning have you be able to count on me to deliver that, okay? In order to do that, 
I think what I'm going to have to do is take on a bit of a heavier interview schedule and just assume that a percentage of those folks are going to drop off, are going to reschedule, are going to change their minds. And then in doing so, I can build up a little bit of a backlog. Okay, so I'll have, I don't know, four or five or six episodes all ready to go in the can, scheduled for publication. I don't have to do anything. You know, once I upload it to uh, Transistor, who is my podcast host right now, I can just upload these things to Transistor, set the publication date. And if I'm having an off week, or if my guests are having an off week, no big deal. If I need to travel and I'm gone for two weeks, no big deal. Those episodes will just keep coming out. Actually, it was it was my friend Hallie Moss, who is going to be a guest on this show, who suggested that to me. She's got some podcasting background herself and suggested, you know, do a number of interviews, create a backlog of episodes. And it's a brilliant idea, isn't it? So... I don't have those lined up yet, uh, but that's my commitment. And that's the path that I'm going towards is doing a bunch of interviews and just piling them up. And they go out when they go out. I had originally hoped to keep them fresh so we could talk about current events, you know, and we might still be able to do some of that. But I really thought it'd be nice to have a conversation and release that conversa- conversation uh, a few days afterwards or, you know, the next day for patrons. Hint, hint. I can see that's probably a little ambitious, especially when it's just me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I releasing the show. There's no producer. There's no engineer. It's just me and a mixer board. I don't really do any editing. Uh, the music that you hear... I'm hearing right now in the mixer board. Uh, and, and that's how I've always made the show. I press record, we start talking, and we stop talking, and I stop the recording. And I publish that recording. Just the way it is. I don't go crazy with, with uh, editing it, uh, spending hours in front of a computer. I'd rather focus on just having good conversations, good content, and get it out there. So, if you get on the Patreon page, you don't even have to be a paying member or anything like that, but I have uh, posts that I put out there, occasionally a poll, uh, some behind the scenes kinds of conversations, and it's a good opportunity for you to give me feedback. What do you like about the show? What do you want us to do better? What are you not getting out of this? And let me know. I really do want to hear your, your thoughts. And I really do want to continue to iterate over the show's format, the way I plan and schedule and execute on this show, the way I distribute it to you. I want to hear back from you. So you can let me know on the Patreon page. You can let me know on Twitter. I am Magnus919 there. Or you can also follow Groctopus. Okay, and I'll have that in the show notes. Groctopus is the account that I use just for podcasting. So you don't have to get like all the other aspects of my life in there. 
we've, we've been at this for 32 minutes, according to my clock. Uh, you can tune out now if you want. I'll go on just a little bit more, talk a little bit about uh, one of the other intersections that I think is common for autistic folks. I don't know if it's common, but some autistic folks are specialists. I think the, the stereotype that is sometimes really true, really on the nose, is that a lot of autistic folks are into trains, like to a point, to an obsessive point, right? Where they know all kinds of things about different trains and their schedules and their history. And that's not me. I'm not, I'm not into trains. I'm into a lot of other things though. So when people ask me, hey, Magnus, what's your special interest? My special interest is special interests. I take on a bunch of hobbies. It's, it's really crazy. I had this idea 12 years ago, you know, my family was growing and I wasn't really satisfied with the quality of pictures we were getting of our kids. So I, I thought I'm going to get a serious digital SLR and I'm going to learn photography. So I got like a Canon digital rebel XTI, which was an entry level Canon digital SLR. And I got the $100 lens, the nifty 50 or thrifty 50, I should say 50 millimeter F 1.8 lens. And I just started learning photography with that camera. Now it turns out my kids don't like having their pictures taken by me, but through almost an accident, I was at a photography meetup taking pictures of cars and motorcycles, including my own motorcycle, which was another one of my interests. And I got all the pictures I wanted to get and I was packing up to go. And one of the other photographers said, wait, where are you going? The models aren't here yet. Some models, what are you talking about? One of the other photographers was really into shooting models and he had arranged for a makeup artist and two models to come out. Well, this wasn't anything that I really anticipated doing, but I thought I'd give it a try. And it was kind of a mad scene. You know, there's 20 photographers all piled up together, getting the exact same shot of the same models. But the angle they were looking at wasn't appealing to me. So I started walking around in circles all the way around the big bunch, around the models, behind the models, probably getting into other people's shots from time to time. And then I saw the shot I wanted over the shoulder, you know, that kind of thing. And I took it. And it turns out the models really liked my pictures, even though I had no experience with this. And they started sharing with their friends who were awesome models. And they sought me out. Next thing you know, I'm taking a lot out of pictures of models and occasionally getting some money to take pictures of bands. And, uh, this was kind of cool. This, this was a, a fun hobby. And that fun hobby went from 2008 to really now I've taken breaks from time to time over the years, but every time I take a break, it's like, I need some other creative outlet. So in 2015, I want to say I took a break. I was really, I was tired of the model scene. I was tired of the drama. I was tired of being stood up by models for photo shoots. And uh, I just put my camera away for a while. Next thing you know, I wrote a novella in 
like 11 days or something like that, or 17 days. Something like that. It was, it was in the two-week time range. I wrote a 50,000-word novella. And it was almost effortless for me. It was like, pick up the laptop, take it. I took the laptop with me everywhere. I took my personal laptop to work with me. If I was sitting in a meeting room waiting for a meeting to start, I would use that two, three, five minutes to write. I would write on my lunch breaks. I would write in the morning, in the evening, all weekend long. And it was just easy. I was averaging, I don't know, like somewhere close to, uh, it varied from day to day. I think the low water mark was somewhere around 3,000 words per day. But on the weekends, I would surge to 5,000 plus words per day, which is insane. But that's something I really enjoy. And it's something I, I think I'd like to get back to. But my head and my heart have to be in the right place. And for some reason, with the work that I do, it tears me down so much inside. You know, even though I'm good at being a leader, I'm good at being a manager, uh, it robs me of my spoons. At the end of the day, I've got nothing left to give. And I just want to, you know, recharge. So I haven't done any I haven't done a lot of writing in a few years I'd like to get back to that but this year you know something special happened we had the global pandemic that's still going on now and I really don't want to be in these situations with other photographers with models with makeup artists coughing on each other <laughs> sneezing in the same area and getting each other sick and I know some photographers and models are already back out there getting at it and making great photography, but that's not me. I'm going to sit this out until uh, we have a vaccine, a good working vaccine. That's basically my rule of thumb. If I can get vaccinated, I'll get back out there and I'll start taking pictures again. But in the meantime, where's my creative outlet? And this kind of goes back to my mission in life, right? To create better opportunities for neurodivergent adults to be successful, to be accepted, to live more independently. And I got to thinking, well, I used to guest host on a podcast years ago. And it was mostly fun until it wasn't. And the only time it wasn't fun was really because of some of the co-hosts. So... What if I did everything that was fun about a podcast and not do the things that aren't fun? I may have a co-host at some point in time. It's not, I have no plans to do that. I won't rule it out, but it has to be somebody that I get along with well and there's no drama or anything like that. Right, Wes Wade? <laughs> um, I'm only half joking there. But really, I enjoy talking to other people amplifying their voices, letting other folks get to know them, what they bring to the world, and how the world's a little bit better off for having them in it. And I think you can talk to just about anyone. If you ask the right questions, you can find out how are they making the world a better place. I'm going to ask those kinds of questions, but I'm focusing on neurodivergent people. So that's me. That's this podcast, Neuroverse. That's where we've been and where we're going. I hope you'll stay with me. I hope you'll subscribe to the show. 
and tune in when we have a guest next time. I can't tell you who that guest is going to be because I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I know who I'd like it to be. But whether it will happen or not remains to be seen. Just know that I'm adapting. I'm learning as I go. I'm getting better at this. And I hope you'll stick around. So tweet at me, comment on the Patreon page, direct message me, whatever. Let me know. How are you liking this so far? What could we be doing better? I look forward to hearing from you. And if you do like what we're doing, tell a friend, tell all your friends, share this on social media. I really need to grow this audience. It's not going to help if, you know, only like a hundred people hear this. We really need to have a lot of people hearing this, taking part in the conversation. That's how some of these guests are going to emerge is from a broader listener base. And that's how the quality of the show is going to go up by hearing more diverse voices. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for hanging with this show. And I wish you all a good day. Good evening. Great weekend. I really have no idea when you're going to listen to this. I don't know what the right greeting is. So I'll just give them all to you. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.